Some of you might recognize the name Richard Halverson, U.S. Senate chaplain for 14 years. Tremendous man, tremendous teacher. He, uh, he used to, to challenge people with the, the following scenario. You're going to meet an old person someday down the road, 10, 30, 50 years from now, waiting there for you. You'll be catching up with him or her. What kind of old person are you going to meet? Will you meet a seasoned, soft, gracious person who has grown old gracefully, surrounded by hosts of friends? Friends who consider themselves blessed because of what that person's life has meant to them? Or will you meet a bitter, disillusioned, dried-up old buzzard without a good word for anyone, soured, friendless, and alone? That old person will be you. The composite of everything you do, say, and think, today and tomorrow. Your mind molded by your beliefs. Your heart will be turning out what you've been putting into it. Every little thought, every deed goes into this old person. Every day, in every way, you are becoming more and more like yourself. Amazing, but true. You're beginning to look more like yourself, think more like yourself, and talk more like yourself. You're becoming yourself more and more. Live only in terms of what you're getting out of life, and the old person gets smaller, drier, harder, crabbier, and more self-centered. Open your life to others. Think in terms of what you can give. Your contribution to life. And the old person grows larger, softer, kinder, and greater. He's right. I can remember a few years ago, a friend of mine was telling me about his elderly mom and how much he enjoyed being with her. He said for as long as he could remember, his mom had given herself, first of all, to passionately following after the Lord Jesus and then to serving others, just giving freely of her life to others. And he said as she got older, it was just a delight to watch her life get bigger and richer and fuller. And she was a joy to be with. My brothers and sisters, I think we probably need to think a little bit more often about who we're becoming. We need to be intent on opening our lives to others in order to become someone that others want to be with, both now and and certainly as, as we are growing older. And as the people of God... That is what we have been called to by him. And in our text this morning, I sense in Peter's words an urgency that we recognize what God has done and and move forward, move ahead, because, because God is at work in building us, and Peter's really emphasizing the us as in us, plural. He's building in us something special for others. You remember last week we heard the imperative written by Peter as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Leave behind what you were and grow into all that God has called you to be. And remember we said last week that 
To be holy means to be separate. means to be distinct. It, it's, it carries with it the sense of, of being different both in how we live, but in also how we think, which then drives how we live. Because as believers, as, as the people of God, we live according to a different value system. Or at least that's what the scripture calls us to. And even, even when we face hard times, when we, we must live and respond differently. And, and we've seen just a bit of this in Peter so far. We'll see more. He deals with it extensively. Even in the hard times, we have to respond differently because, because we understand that our faith is being refined. It's being purified by those hardships. And in the midst of it all, as Peter has told us, our soul is secure as the people of God. And he says that is the goal of our salvation. We are receiving the salvation of our soul, the security of our soul. Peter ended last week's text with a quote from Isaiah. It says that all humanity is like grass and the glory of people is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Folks, we are on our way out. These bodies of ours are wearing out, breaking down, and we're checking out, all of us, one of these days. But the word of the Lord, and what Peter means by that is the revelation of who God is and the declaration that he has made about himself and his plan, that will never change. It stands forever. And he has declared that those who put their faith in his son, they are saved. And they are adopted into his family. And they are his. They are secure in him forever. Peter is saying that that the human body is, is fading away. But those who are God's people can live with confidence that they belong to him and they always will long after the body has died. And that truth, it seems to me, and it certainly seems to Peter, and I think it probably seems to most of us, that truth ought to impact the way that we live. I, I don't think about that enough. And once again this morning, our text starts off with that word, therefore. Peter, we've seen, likes that connector. And so again, we want to ask, well, what is it there for, right? And this word will point us back to where we've been, Theological truth of what God has done, remember? Amazing God, amazing salvation. Given us new birth into a living hope. Inheritance that is being kept for us in heaven. And Peter then says, our response to that needs to be to be people who live lives of holiness. Do not conform to the sinful desires that we had when we were, we were not the children of God and, and we didn't know better. So then we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 2 with, with therefore. Peter is getting starting to, to move in a direction of what I think of as more the nitty-gritty. He has sort of done this, this theological, this overview of look at what God has done and look at who we are. Therefore, how does that impact our lives? How, how do we live? So let's stand and, and read together this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2. And what I hope you'll keep in mind is you'll, you'll see the word you, And in this verse, you see yourselves 
Um, every time he uses that word, it is the plural. So he is writing this letter to a group of God's people, and he is speaking to the group. So think in terms of plural when you hear that word. Let's read together. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My brothers and sisters, that ought to get our motor going. And all God's people said, Amen Amen indeed. Go ahead and be seated. You know, in our Western world, there is a tendency among God's people to to view the new birth into a living hope that Peter talks about as strictly a, a, an individual thing. We're, we're pretty individualistic. And along with the idea that salvation is something that has happened in the past. But, but an honest reading of the New Testament, and, and you know this, many of you, reveals an emphasis upon the plural, as we have seen here. New birth is an event that places us not on a new path by ourselves, but it puts us into a new family with a new father with new brothers and sisters, and we don't get to pick them, and with a dimension that salvation is something that is still coming, that in a sense it is not complete. Remember Peter's words from from chapter 1, the inheritance that is ours, being kept in heaven for us, he says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time you'd be hard-pressed to find an emphasis in the New Testament that that makes new birth a private, isolated kind of a thing. It's not God's intent that we live as individuals for Christ alone. It's a foreign concept to the New Testament, foreign uh, concept to the the Scriptures, the Old Testament as well, the, the people of God, that Old Testament language that we see so much here in Peter. And, and it's, it's, 
those texts that, that really bring out the emphasis of, of we are in this together. This is one of those, called to live in a certain way. And so Peter is saying that based upon what God has done for us in Christ, given us that living hope, prepared for us that inheritance that is in keeping, we need to live our lives together as the people of God. What does that look like? Therefore, he says, you must live with no malice, no deceit, no hypocrisy, no envy, and no slander. He writes, rid yourselves. Get rid of, dispose of, dump all of these things. Malice. Malice is a desire to inflict injury or harm or suffering on another. Deceit is to conceal or distort the truth from others for the purpose of of misleading. Hypocrisy. It's a pretense of, of having a character or principles that we don't really possess. Envy. Feeling of discontent or or covetousness with regard to another's success or to their possessions, their status. Slander. A malicious, false, defamatory statement or report. Notice, all of these things that Peter lists have to do with attitudes and actions that come between people. Their relationship breakers. And the command is, rid yourselves. It is plural. The idea is, each one of you, as individuals, take responsibility for getting rid of these things that exist in your life together. The group. Surrender to the leading and the conviction of the Spirit of God. Peter's not suggesting that we, that we make this a job for the morality police. Peter is suggesting that we as God's people be responsible to remember what it is that he's done for us and follow the lead of the Spirit in making sure that we as individuals are ridding ourselves of this garbage that shows up in our lives. I remember as a kid talking negatively about a friend one time to my dad. And his response was, you know, son, I've learned over the years that if you mind your own business, you'll be busy all the time. I wonder if he got that from Peter. <laughs> Peter's saying here, tend to the interior business of your life. Make it your business to rid yourself of those actions and attitudes that will come between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make it your business to do that because those things will crop up and you need to be attentive to them things that divide God's people and break relationships. And what is it that Peter is driving at? He's driving at a, at a greater passion. He's driving at something that, that pushes us to do this on a continual basis. Rid yourselves of these harmful attitudes and actions. I love what he says next. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. When I read that earlier this week, I couldn't help but think of Jeff and Allie. You think they're reminded again of the craving that newborn babies have for milk? 
times two. Jeff, how's that going? <laughs> uh, that is true. You are not the milk supply, my brother. Oh, my goodness. You ever been around a, a nursing baby when it's really wanting food? You know, I, I remember a time that Sharice and I were, were watching a, a, a young one for some friends, and this baby was hungry. And we tried to give her a bottle, and that just made her mad as mad could be. Oh, my gosh. She only wanted mama. Mama wasn't available for several hours. It was a long night. (laughs) That's the image that Peter is creating for us here, my friends. He's saying, we need to go after God with a hungry passion. Come on. After what God has done for you, don't live in a way that shows that your greatest craving is, to, is for self and self-exaltation. No. Go after the Lord like a hungry baby goes after mama. And grow up in your salvation. Peter is just laying it out there for us. You know, it was, it was Lewis, you know the quote, spoke of God's people as being too easily satisfied. He says, we're, we're like kids who've been given this offer of vacation at the ocean, at the seashore, and... And we're happy to just sit in the street and make mud pies. We are far too easily satisfied with less than what God has given us. Peter says, no! You've been given a living hope. You've got an inheritance that makes Bill Gates look like a pauper. What are you being satisfied with less than all that God has for? Be hungry. Be fussy. Be like a newborn baby. Crave and go after all that God has has for you. Okay. Heather, can we put the next slide up? Because I think this is just, this is like the supreme statement in, in all of the letter. That's my opinion, of course. Which we know makes it right. I love this text. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Okay, here's your question. It's one of those no-brainers. But sometimes we have to stare the no-brainer right in the face. These are truth statements Peter is making about the collective identity of the people of God. Now, are these simply nice things to know about ourselves or is there a purpose to each one of them? Ask your neighbor, what do they think? (laughs) don't you dare say the first one right and you might discuss the purposes since he says it okay you're done this didn't take long what do you think just nice statements or are they more than that we live beneath our privilege often yeah far too easily satisfied with with less and 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 purpose what are, you, what are you reading about purpose in here? Wow. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Can I just go down a rabbit trail for like a minute? There has been so much stupid... That's harsh. There's been so much silly stuff that has been written over the years about finding God's will for your life. There it is. That's it. God has 
called you to himself, has joined you with others who believe the same thing that you do about him, and your role then is to become a participant in this crowd that declares the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, we, we fuss about, oh, where does God want me to work, and what does he want me to do, and who does he want me to marry, and where should I go to college, and holy moly, we make things difficult. And that's not to say that God doesn't have an interest in those things in our life. I think our interest in those things is far greater than they need to be. seems to me that if we were living into what God has made us and who he has put us into do this with, those kinds of things become a whole lot less important to us. To declare the praises of God, the word that Peter uses means to tell out, to declare to to divulge, to publish, to make known by praising or proclaiming, to celebrate. That is exactly what Peter has in mind, that God's people will do that. To be a chosen people is to know that we are special. and, and, And there's no sense of pride in that, folks. Remember, our theology tells us that, that God didn't choose us because we were special. He chose us because we were a disaster and we needed to be redeemed. So if there's any haughtiness in in your mind about being special, forget it. It's to live daily with an awareness that God has made me his own because of his amazing grace and I did nothing to deserve it. We need to be together in, in celebrating that we are the chosen people. To be a royal priesthood. It's about our purpose together. You know, in the Old Testament, the priest was was the mediator between God and the people. We who are filled with the Spirit of God today, we have become mediators between God and the people of this world. We are the ones who bring the presence of God into the dark world. We are the ones who then take those people who need Him and we offer them to our Father in prayer and a desire for His grace to touch and change their lives. You are part of a royal priesthood. That is not anything insignificant. A holy nation. Oh, I love this one. A reminder that we are citizens of a different kingdom. That's the idea of being resident aliens. That's a theme that is important to Peter. We live by different values than the predominant culture in which we find ourselves. God Relationship to him, relationship to one another is the priority or the priorities of our lives. Oh, how easily and quickly we get that confused. And a people belonging to God, we are his and we were purchased at a great cost. That word there is, is, is something that, that, that God has, has purchased. We belong to him. He has made us his own. And when we don't live like God has done anything special for us, we make the cost of our salvation cheap in the eyes of those who observe our lives. So again, as we've seen before, this is Old Testament language. These verses... That, that, lead, that, that we have read and also the verses that lead up to it. Peter quotes from Isaiah 28. He uses messianic images of Jesus being the cornerstone of a new building. Uh, man, it, the, the understanding of the cornerstone in that first century was that first stone that was laid in, in, in 
constructing a building, and that cornerstone determined how straight the walls were, determined the, the right angles. It was the success of a building. Mess up the cornerstone, the building will be a disaster. Jesus is the cornerstone of a new building. You know, to the Jews who were, who were hearing this letter, they probably had images of the temple in Jerusalem, that place that stood as a reminder for, for who they were and, and their God who was present and strong among them. And, and they would have been reading this letter or hearing this letter read during a time when, when the temple in Jerusalem was still standing strong. Peter, the author, Well, he was present that day, many years before, when Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. And Peter, you remember the one who stated clearly, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, he had spent, at the writing of this letter, 30-some years, watching God build his church, watching God build this new temple for his presence in the world. And, And it was made out of people living stones, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices that would be themselves to God. Do you hear what Peter is saying here? This is outrageous. The people of God are the presence of God in the world. They are the new temple. Just as the temple had stood as a reminder to the Jewish people and and any others who saw it and were interested in knowing why it was there, it stood as a reminder of the presence of God in the world. The people of God, the new living temple, the living stones, are joined together to stand in this world to declare the beauty and the greatness of God. You look pretty impressed by this truth. We've got to resist the temptation, my brothers and sisters, to think of ourselves individually as doing that. And that doesn't mean that we don't understand ourselves as persons who have been chosen by God's grace as individuals. It doesn't mean that, that we can't think of ourselves as, as a royal priest as I'm living my life in the world uh, that, that I'm not a member of a holy nation. Of course, it takes the individuals to, to make the collective, but Peter's emphasis is, understand the power and the presence that is available and made known when God's people are seeing themselves. It's more important that we be together than I just be by myself. Tremendous, tremendous witness in that. It's our witness to the presence of God in the world that is at stake. And so when we strive to rid ourselves of those self-exalting kinds of attitudes and actions that Peter says, get rid of, crave more of God together, then we become a beautiful and attractive presence of God in this world together that that we just simply cannot be as individuals. I hope that this really shapes your thinking about who you are in Christ and who we are in Christ. This really becomes important as we begin to to move through some of the next verses as we move ahead in, in this journey because Peter is going to say some very challenging 
kinds of things uh, that, uh, that he was calling the people of God to be in a very difficult context. But they could only be that and do those things if they understood themselves as resident aliens together, being this presence of God together in a culture that is really pretty unfriendly to the whole idea of Jesus and his church. I know I've told some of you the story of a young man I met years ago. So in my college days, I was traveling in Europe, and, and he was a Mormon missionary. We met him in Germany, and, and long story short, after interacting with, uh, with one of the guys who was a part of our ministry team, he made a commitment to Christ, our Jesus, made a commitment to follow after Jesus, and he was, he was so struck with, with the, the, the awesome task that lied ahead of him, he had to go home and he had to tell the church that had sent him to Germany to do some studying of, of lineology of, of the families or genealogy of the families that, that were part of, of you know, the, the temple where he worshipped. had to tell his family that he had become a follower of Jesus. And I'll never forget one of the first questions that he asked was, are there more of you? You know, to us that seems such an odd question. Well, of course there's more of us. But I think what was, what was buried in that question was, oh my gosh, I can't do this alone. Are there more of you? In other words, will there be more who believe like you and who, that believe like I now do when I get home and have to face this daunting task that is before me? That's what Peter's driving at in this text. We're not in this alone. We're in this together. And there is strength and there is power and there is presence in together that I think ought to challenge us as we consider the task that God has called us to and that is to be a presence that declares His praises, His glorious praises the one who called us out of darkness into his glorious light.